Welcome to Menu Feed, a bi-weekly podcast from Winsight Media's two food service brands, Restaurant Business and Food Service Director. I'm Pat Kobe, Senior Editor covering Menu, Food, and Drink for both brands. Today I'm chatting with Menu Maven Nancy Cruz, also the State of the Plate columnist for Restaurant Business. Nancy keeps a close watch on trends in chain and independent restaurants and sees that several favorites that gained popularity in the last two years, like chicken sandwiches and cauliflower, are still going strong, now showing up with global flavor twists. And burgers and pizza will always be platforms for creativity with broad appeal. Nancy believes that the more familiar an item, the more adaptable it is for innovation. But forward-thinking culinarians are playing around with less familiar ingredients and flavors too, taking vegetables to new heights, exploring the potential of food texture and smoke, and elevating staples like butter with chef-inspired touches. Listen as Nancy talks about the megatrends and emerging trends impacting menus now. Welcome, Nancy. Thanks so much for joining me today. Well, it's my pleasure, Pat. I'm happy to be with you. So let's begin by starting with the big picture. What are some of the menu trends that just keep on going strong? Yeah, the the big ones continue to be comfort food. Comfort foods are always uh, the basis of of restaurant menus, most all restaurant menus, um, but they've especially come to the forefront comfort items during the shutdown and the pandemic. As a sort of subcategory, the chicken sandwich thing, fried chicken sandwiches, it's hard to believe, but there is still growth and Technomic indicated that within the sub-subcategory of Nashville hot chicken sandwiches, they're growing close to double digits over the last 12 months. So I find that kind of extraordinary. And of course, global flavors always coming into play as well. Mm. I know in one of your um, recent articles, you mentioned some like Japanese and Katio Pepe, which is one of my favorite pasta preparations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I didn't realize it was on trend now. Yes. And you know what was interesting to me as I took a look at the global influences over the past couple of years, I, I, I found it fascinating that the items that have really come into play are the ones that are going to be the most familiar. And again, I'm going to use the word uh, comforting to consumers. It's really not a stretch for them to enjoy uh, the cacio e pepe, you know, just it's if it's Italian, they will come kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, so yeah, uh, Latin influences, uh, churros have been huge. And the way that they're interpreted in this country is really uh, from a Mexican point of view, they tend to be served around the clock uh, from breakfast through dessert with Mexican accents. Um, Tres leches, for example, all of a sudden married to a uh, to a churro. So again, it's it's it, it, the items tend to be things that are very close in and within the consumer's comfort zone. Right. Well, I, it seems like a lot of the innovation happens around those very familiar things like burgers and chicken sandwiches yeah, yeah. and breakfast sandwiches. Yeah. But and I sort of get tired of writing about burgers and chicken yeah. sandwiches. Yeah. And <laughs> So it would be exciting if innovation moved into some other menu categories. Are you seeing any of that lately? 
Well, you're probably going to want to throw your microphone at me, but sure. I mean, they continue. There continues to be innovation in areas like pizza. How much more pizza can we possibly consume? But you're stuffing the crust and you're changing the toppings and all of that kind of stuff. By the slice is coming into vogue. The Detroit style thing, which is just mm. wonderful. Uh, even in the city of Chicago, which, as you know, is very proud of its own history in pizza, has really em embraced the, the rectangular, not deep dish, but substantial um, Detroit style. So so pizza continues. I, I, I had referenced, gosh, chicken sandwiches. Again, you may want to throw your microphone at me, but they just are like the energizer bunny of menus. They just keep on going. And now they are being reinterpreted with global influences. So fried chicken uh, banh mi, for example, with all of the conventional Vietnamese touches like a, a schmear of, of foie gras, for example. Mm. Uh, katsu, Japanese katsu fried chicken sandwiches mm. are huge. Curry up now which is arguably the breakout chain in the Indian category, does a tandoori fried chicken. And there's fried chicken, ice cream sandwiches. And oh, gosh, Pat, it just goes on and on and on. <laughs> well, Miss just this week, Popeye's actually did a new iteration of their iconic chicken sandwich by adding yeah. ranch yeah. and buffalo sauce. So yes, they're, not, they're playing around with it, too. Yeah. And you know what I struck me as interesting about that Buffalo Ranch was that's not like groundbreaking and new, right? But they're jumping on something that they know their customers are going to really respond to. I, I got a kick out of that. Yeah, me too. So as far as moving into 2022, what are some of the key mega trends that you see driving menus? aside from comfort continuing and global influences? Right. Well, I'll tell you the thing that I'm watching most closely is how value will impact as a menu driver, because what you just said, comfort foods and, and, and fried chicken and global, that is going to go on and on and on. Those are foundational. And, and value is always really important too, but over the recent past, it has been perhaps less prominent as a driver of menu choice. And I suspect going forward that uh, it will become much more important. Obviously, we're in an inflationary period. Operators are really stretched in terms of supply chain costs and how much they can pass on. So I think we're going to see some real uh, price sensitivity from customers that will drive the importance of value. I think the other thing worth watching is the evolution of what we refer to as healthful cuisine, which in the restaurant context mostly has to do with fresh foods, foods that are perceived to be better. Free range chicken, for example, mm -hmm. uh, is, is, is seen as perceived to be better. Lots and lots of activity around the vegetable category. But there are a number of menu analysts who are forecasting that menus will take a fairly sharp turn towards functionality and um, gosh, almost medicinal type foods. Mm. I, I don't, I, I honestly don't see that. I mean, I've heard those projections for years and years and years, 
but Americans tend to eat functional if they do uh, functional foods at home and to a great extent better for you foods at home and they tend to let go a little bit when they're out to eat. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So have you seen anything on chain menus recently that is particularly exciting or some chains that are kind of leading the charge in menu innovation? Yeah. Yeah. I'm really glad you asked that. Um, I'm about to give away my biggest trade secrets here, but, but there are a limited number of chains that I consider to be leading edge, uh, leading indicators, if you like. And the one that to me is just setting the house on fire at the moment is First Watch. Hmm. They have some of the consistently best, most exciting menu R&D because they're working in the breakfast, brunch, lunch uh, context. And so, I, and yet they're always just a step ahead. They're so smart. For example, last year they did an elote hash, a Mexican street food hash, and it had all of the ingredients that you would expect in the in, in the context of hash. Or last year they did a mushroom truffle hash. Truffles have been everywhere, and here they are a daytime cafe jumping on board with that. I think they do terrific work. Cheesecake Factory, of of course, has always been one of the best leading indicators in the business. They tend to be a step ahead, but not too far ahead. Good point of introduction for new foods and flavors. And I think the same is true for California Pizza Kitchen. But again, I, I just think First Watch is, they're just killing it. They're doing such fine work. Yeah, actually, Shane, the chef, was on my podcast about a year ago, and we talked about their innovations. So, yeah, he's a yeah. really creative guy, and he travels around a lot and gets ideas from everywhere. So let's talk about some of the specific flavor and ingredient trends that you are, you see happening right now. I was really intrigued by your most recent piece on food texture. And then you talked about smoke earlier and butter and all of those are so, you know, it seems like you are the only one who's pinpointed these particular trends. So I'm really interested in hearing what you have to say about it. Well, I don't know if I'm the only one. I might be the only one who gets so darned excited about it because (laughs) I just am, uh, I'm just delighted at what these chefs are are doing and how they're managing to innovate through the toughest times uh, in the business. You know, a trend like smoking is is just so smart because anywhere that an operator can apply technique, technique equals value-add, there's just no question. And while we frequently talk about barbecuing at home, when we're going to have a barbecue, which means you've got a little grill on the the back deck, uh, smoke, I believe, connotes to most consumers real expertise. And so, you know, chefs are are smoking items that you would not expect, vegetables and breakfast items and so on. Uh, And consumers are responding to that. The texture thing is just marvelous because there's this enormous portfolio of ingredients that add texture that aren't expensive. I mean, potato chips and pretzels Mm. and seeds Nuts can be a little bit more expensive, but they also tend to connote kind of a, a premium premium item. The, the 
trend in butter is now several years old. Uh, lots of chefs, of course, never stopped using butter, but other operations substituted what might have been butter at one point with, with margarine. And of course, the whole trans fat issue sort of erupted. And at the same time, uh, millennial mothers were looking for foods that were clean and that they understood and that didn't have a lot of additives and so on and so forth. So, so uh, the butter thing has been wonderful because again, you can work with it from so many points of view, additives, you know, compound butters, and it's a terrific value add. It's an easy thing typically to execute in the back of the house, but it's something that I think really scores with consumers. Plus it tastes delicious. Plus it tastes delicious. That's right. You know, I, I, I just said lots of chefs never, never, never quit using butter. And certainly if you're a pastry chef, a baker or pastry chef, you just couldn't quit it for all the good reasons that we know. So. And then there's flaming hot Cheetos. Oh. I've seen those emerge like on so many different menu items. What's I that all know. about? Oh gosh. It's just a masterpiece of a promotional opportunity. I mean, it, it, it just is the perfect marriage of unexpected flavor with unexpected dishes, you, you know, milkshakes and ice cream and uh, entrees and, and chicken sandwiches and all of that stuff. But it's fun because it's a promotional hook. It's something that the customer wouldn't necessarily have thought about doing on his, her own. And it, it, it gives the, uh, the operator just a nice sort of buzz point, you know, something to really promote. And let's talk about vegetables a little. I mean, you mentioned that a little bit about that earlier, but how they've become front and center and chefs are playing around with these a lot. And we're not talking about plant-based, you know, like for meats or for right. chicken. <laughs> but right. so how are operators elevating some of the humble vegetables and making them special? Well, mostly I think what they're doing is using their imaginations and their technical capabilities. So I keep tracking the of all categories, the carrot category, because it's available all the time. It has good customer acceptance. It has a surprising uh, bandwidth in terms of versatility. It's inexpensive, so on and so forth. And so you see chefs doing things like a pastrami, a carrot pastrami, in which they replace the meat with the carrot, a, a steak, a, a carrot steak, or they did at uh, the University of Connecticut, UConn, they did a, a carrot dogs promotion, which was so much fun because they did Chicago dogs and Coney dogs and so on. So the idea is to take the basic vegetable in some cases to replace the meat component, but in other cases to just add value and make it sexy. So charring, for example, mm. is a simple technique, but it just looks great and it's very attractive on the menu to the consumer, I think. Have you seen anyone getting away from cauliflower as like a oh. center of the plate? <laughs> I am because that's been going on for so many years. Now. Oh, I know. It's it well, it's been actually kind of wonderful in many ways. Uh, it still seems to be going strong. You know, a number of these 
lifestyle diets uh, allow for the brassicas, cauliflower and and broccoli and, and so on. But I'll tell you, the vegetable that I'm watching now is not new. Again, it's been around forever and it's easy to purchase and it's inexpensive. And that is the mushroom. Mm. Chefs have used mushrooms for a very long time as an alternative to meat. But now they are just, they just like gone into overdrive. There's things like mushroom birria or pulled portobello mushrooms instead of barbecue or or burnt end mushrooms. I've seen a couple of instances, uh, believe it or not, of a mushroom cocktail in which the mushroom juice is extracted and fermented and then it's garnished with the candied mushrooms or something. I mean, that's, that's really, really pushing the envelope. But with the rising interest in mushrooms from the health perspective, since we already know and like mushrooms, uh, if they're good for us, that's a sort of an added bonus, right? And so I think that really we're just at the beginning stages of some terrific uh, innovation around that particular category. Oh, that's good. I really like mushrooms. Yeah, I do too. So I, actually I was at a dinner last night and the vegetarian on, you know, entree instead of having the steak was this pile of cauliflower. So I'm anxious to see oh. other, you know, vegetables substituting for vegetarian yeah. dinners. So wait, you were out last night. You weren't at the Met Gala, were you? No, I wasn't. Oh, oh okay. I didn't see you on the red carpet, but I, <laughs> okay. at the, <laughs> I don't think I would ever be invited to that, but Nor it's fun I. to watch. <laughs> Nor I, yeah. So what's happening at independent restaurants? They're usually like the uh, pace setters for the chains, or sometimes it works in the opposite way. But a lot of the independents have downsized their menus after the pandemic, and they're focusing on experiences instead. So how can they make food more experiential? Well, again, I think much of it has to do with technique. You, You dazzle the diner, and I'm using kind of a small D there, but you dazzle the diner by how you um, have prepared and presented, because plate presentation is awfully important as well. And it's an area, I think, where um, independents really excel. I think independents are also excelling and kind of leading the charge uh, from the point of view of vegetable usage, and not just at Madison Park, uh, uh, Daniel Hum, one Madison Park, 11 Madison Park. Would it, yeah, it's 11 Madison Park. 11 Madison Park. That's right. Thank you for that. You know, has switched to an all vegetable menu and veg in Philadelphia, for example. Mm-hmm. I mean, they do just brilliant work. Veg, not too long ago, did a potatoes lo mein in which shredded potato substituted for, for lo mein noodles. And it looked great. I mean, this kind of decommodification, if that's the word, decommodifying of of something that the customer really may think of in in terms of being just another commodity, just another veg. Mm. Um, I think they've really been on the cutting edge of that. And that's very exciting. And they can charge so much for it because of the presentation and the way the innovation behind it. You know, it's interesting you say that. I suspect you and I read the same newspapers, but the New York Times ran a story after uh, 11 Madison Park 
debuted its new menu and there was some chagrin on the part of some diners because the, the menu prices actually increased with the, the use of vegetables. And Chef explained that in many ways, it's more difficult. They can be more delicate. It's not like you put a piece of fish or a piece of steak on the grill. This requires very refined technique. And, you know, that sort of upends what you might typically think, but I thought it was very, very interesting to read that. Yeah. And also more labor, I would imagine. Yes. Yeah, exactly. That's right. Yeah. 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 So you're a noted menu trends guru and you, you speak about menu trends a lot. What trends do you wish would go away in 2023? What have we had enough of? (laughs) Oh gosh. You know, I'm going to kind of flake out on this one because in some ways it's not for me to say. In other words, as long as consumers keep buying fried chicken sandwiches and pizza and burgers, there's just no reason for them to go away. I can't think of anything that I'd like to see less of because the more mm, familiar an item is, the more it is subject to innovation. So I really like that. And I suspect going forward, we're just going to see so much more of it in terms of comfort foods and, and so on. Is there anything you hope will be expanded on in the year ahead? Yeah, although I don't know how hopeful I am. Uh, and that is further exploration of the global kitchen. Um, the last few years, we've really stuck with kind of uh, uh, comforting foods and familiar foods within a, the global context. The problem, and I'm using air quotes here, the problem is that the drivers of global flavor adaptation here are are missing. I mean, foreign travel is down, foreign trade is down. We have no lack of photogenic young chefs, but so far we really haven't seen too many come to the fore in the sort of post Roy Choi, David Chang era. So I'm sort of waiting for that next wave. It could be Indonesian, it could be uh, regional Chinese, regional Central American. But but again, I think it's going to take a while to get here because the, the preconditions don't exist at the moment. So is there anything else you want to add about menu trends going forward or the ones we've seen this year? just to end our discussion? Well, I I guess I would say what I always say at the end of my presentations, and I say it from my heart, I just admire and respect what these chefs are doing always, always, but especially now when we've been through the absolute worst period in the history of the restaurant industry and I tell you, these chefs just innovate and they, they, they take a bad news and turn it into exciting menu good news. So I, I just thank them and applaud them. I wouldn't have a job without them, Pat. Thanks so much, Nancy. It's always fun to talk menu and food trends with you. We'll have to revisit some of these ideas later in the year and see how they pan out. In the meantime, you can download this episode of Menu Feed and past ones on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Music